Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay, so this morning I want to share a bit about something that's um, so fundamental to the Bible and Christianity that we often assume it. The Bible, um, in a sense, assumes it. When I preach, I, I usually assume it. But I, but I realize that um, even though I assume it, many people, even many Christians, don't always fully believe it uh, and fully understand it. And so I, I just want to share a bit about... Um, spiritual reality and seeing spiritual reality. And I want to start off just with, um, uh, you know, just in terms of our, our vision, what, what we do and, and, and how we do it. We talk about um, reaching nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. That's what we do. And how we do it is we, we want to learn to live the gospel, love the people, and obey the Spirit everywhere. And the idea is, and, and this is just an important point about discipleship, that I just want to um, remind us of discipleship is not something that you do at church or in small group discipleship is not something that affects certain parts of your life it's something that affects all of your life discipleship is covenant with God what's the difference between a club and a covenant you, you can join a tennis club or you can join a stamp collection club, okay? <laughs> what, what, does, does the tennis club that you join or the stamp collection club that you join affect all of your life, every single part of your life? No. It only affects that part, you know, that Saturday afternoon or whenever you go and play tennis or, you know, whenever you do the stamp thing and, and you go and show each other your stamps. <laughs> so it's, it's one part of your life that touches one part of the people in the other people in the club's lives okay covenant is different in covenant it's every part of your life that touches every part of the other person's life and and covenant with marriage is a covenant for instance so i I know often we treat marriage as a club (laughs) but we shouldn't it should be a covenant where every every part of your life affects every part of the other person's life and and our relationship with God is a covenant and should be that way as well. Okay, so um, that's why we say we, we want to learn to live the gospel, love the people and obey the Spirit everywhere. In other words, we want to take what we learn about, the go- about, about living the gospel, um, being like Jesus, uh, about loving people, loving one another, and about obeying the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit um, flowing in the, in, the, in the gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit. We want to take all of that and we want that we learn in church, but then we want to apply it at home and we want to apply it at work and we want to apply it amongst our friends. We want to apply it in every area of life because discipleship is about all of our lives. I, I cannot or I should not try and follow Jesus in one area of life and not in every area of life. Okay? And why I say that. And I, and I can see sort of, just like the conviction strikes me when I speak about that, I can see the convic- on your faces that the conviction strikes you as well. Because isn't that one of the things that we struggle with most in our discipleship? Is to make sure that our discipleship is 
affects every part of our lives, not just certain select parts of our lives. Um, and <clears throat> so I, I, the third one there, obeying the Spirit, um, like I said, it, in fact, all of them, but especially obeying the Spirit, assumes the spiritual reality of, of, the, of this world. Now, in, in Genesis chapter 2, well, actually Genesis 1, let me start with Genesis 1 verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and it, it talks about the two realms that God created. The earth, the physical realm, and then the heavens, uh, which you can say um, the Bible talks about, Paul talks about going to the third heaven. So the first heaven, you could say, is atmosphere. The second heaven is space. And the third heaven is the spiritual realm where God dwells and where the angels dwell and so on. So the heavens and the earth covers everything. It covers the physical reality that God created, the physical space God created, but also the spiritual reality and the spiritual space that God created. The natural and the supernatural, that which is beyond the natural. And then, that, that's in Genesis 1 verse 1, and then in the rest of the chapter, God proceeds to fill the physical and the spiritual space He created by creating the rest of creation. Um, and very fundamental to the biblical view of life is that the physical realm is not all there is. There is a spiritual realm which is not as visible and as um, accessible to our natural senses, but which is as real. And the interesting thing is where almost everything else in creation was created in the physical realm. Um, when we get to Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, then, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, physical, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, spiritual, and the man became a living being. And because God created mankind, humanity, in his image, to represent him, because that's why you make something in your image, is to represent yourself, um, to, to, so that we can reflect him. It was necessary for us, for our unique calling of reflecting God, of representing God, to not just be present in the physical realm, but to also be present in the spiritual realm. So humanity, in a sense, is unique in that we straddle these two realms, the physical and the spiritual. We are present in both. That's the only way we can represent a, spirit, a God who the Bible says um, is spirit. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, John chapter 4. So a God who is spirit, the only way we can represent Him physically is if we are also spirit. Okay? Does that make sense? So from the beginning... The Bible assumes these two realms. God created these two realms, and He created us in these two realms. And a, a biblical Christian worldview is, per definition, a supernatural worldview. It's, it's not just a view of the natural world, and the natural world is all there is, but it's, it's an understanding that there's a supernatural reality underlying. Less accessible, less visible. Now, in um, John chapter 3, let me just read that. It says... You should not be surprised at my saying, 
You must be born again, or literally born from above, born from the spiritual realm, born of the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying here is, at some stage, even though God created the world natural and supernatural, physical and spiritual, at some as time went on, humanity sort of lost that understanding. It, it was no longer as much of a reality. The spiritual, the supernatural was no longer as much of a reality to mankind. Um, what happened was, as people drifted and, and societies drifted away from God, um, the view of reality became more impersonal, not created by a a tri-personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, but, but an impersonal sort of reality and, and often a materialistic reality, that the material world, that which we can access with our senses of touch and smell and sight and, and all that, that that's all there is. Um, or the opposite happened. Um, you know, the Greek, the, Greek, the Greek said that, you know, reason was real, ideas were real, and the physical was actually unreal, not real. Eastern cultures say basically that the, um, today still to some extent, but, but certainly uh, back then, that the physical reality is just a temporary illusion and that salvation is all about escaping the physical reality and into the spiritual. Uh, and, and, you know, your, your, your punishment for your sins is to be reincarnated physically again in, in a worse state. So, so as um, humanity, individually and corporately, uh, you know, drifted away from God, we sort of lost our understanding and, and the balance of the natural and the supernatural, the physical and the spiritual. And um, I just want to read you a, a, a quote that I think sort of summarizes it quite nicely uh, um, by, by Tim Keller. He starts off by talking about before Christianity, the body and the material world um, were less important. And why I'm saying this is just, I mean, we read the Bible and, and we sometimes forget that in the Old Testament, the people who believed the Bible and who obeyed the Bible and who had a biblical worldview were actually a small minority in the world. The rest of the world often drifted very far away from it. Um, so before Christianity, the body and the material world are, uh, are seen as less important and real than the realm of ideas. The body, and after Christianity, the body and the material world are good. Improving them is important, and, and science is possible. Uh, he goes on to say uh, the basic reason for, for the shift, according to many scholars, is that before Christianity, virtually all cultures had a fundamentally impersonal view of the universe. The Greeks believed that the logos behind the universe was a rational, impersonal principle. Eastern cultures believed that all individual personality was a temporary illusion, Christianity, by stark contrast, saw the universe uh, as the loving and creative act of a tripersonal God who made people for personal relationship with him as selves that last that lasts forever. All the Christian ideas um, above flowed naturally from the idea that the purpose of all things was communion with this personal God. And then he goes on um, to say, 
None of the ideas, of these ideas, he mentions five of them, the goodness of the material world, the progress of history, because before Christianity, history was seen as cyclical, and, and the, the whole reincarnation thing is just one example of that, uh, just repeating itself over and over. The dignity of individuals. In ancient times, there was no idea of individuals are important. It was just society that was important, and your duty towards society. Um, so so um, then also the significance of choices. Uh, before Christianity came along, everyone was seen as fated. You had a destiny, and, and, and you were fated to do certain things. Um, Oedipus, for example, was fated to kill his father and marry his mother. And no matter what he tried, and I'm just mentioning that as one example, he ended up killing his father and, and marrying his mother because that was what he was fated to do. So choice was not seen as important at all. Human emotions um, weren't seen as important at, at all. So all of, all of these ideas made, uh, none of these ideas made any sense in an impersonal universe, and therefore they had never arisen in the ancient world before Christianity. Nietzsche, Nietzsche's great critique of modern secular humanism strikes at the irony of the point. Though none of these basically Christian moral ideas rationally flow from an impersonal universe, late modernity has inherited them from Christianity, intensified and absolutized them, and cut them completely loose from any transcendent grounding whatsoever. So in other words, modern, late modern secular humanism basically is atheistic. It believes in evolution and that the physical world created itself. Now, I mean, just that statement that something does not exist and then something that does not exist brings itself into existence and creates itself. I mean, logically, that just doesn't make sense. But that's the kind of thing that, you know, mental gymnastics that you must do. But, but then it's seen that everything is physical. Everything is physical. Um, the physical material world is all there is. If you cannot, you know, empirically verify it, if you cannot touch it, if you cannot smell it, if you cannot taste it, if you cannot see it or hear it, it doesn't exist. So even love and relationships are seen as physical. They'll, people will say stuff like, no, love is just a chemical reaction in your head. It's not real. The decisions you make are just chemical reactions. So it's going back to that whole idea that you fated. You, whatever you decide, it's not really a choice that you're making. It's just chemical reactions happening in your head. So um, here, comes, here comes the irony. Um, it has created a moral value matrix. Secular humanism has created a moral value matrix out of the fruit of Christian ideas, but severed it from the root of those Christian beliefs and worldview. Now all these ideas must be held in the face of what is thought to be completely, a, a completely impersonal universe, even more impersonal than the ones believed in by ancient societies, because it has no supernatural or spiritual aspect to it at all. The late modern position on these five issues comprises the late modern baseline cultural narratives or unthoughts. Now, the, the rationality, rationality narrative, the Greek philosophers saw the material world, including the body, as subordinate, unimportant and unreal, but Christianity saw them as the good creation of God with a dependable objective reality of their own. 
many have recognized that this Christian, uh, Christian view or worldview, uh, view of the world crafted by a rational personal being was an important foundation for the development of modern science. In other words, with the world as it was seen, with the physical either, you know, mostly unimportant, there was no basis for studying the physical world and developing physics and science and medicine and all of that. So all of that, there's a reason why in history all of those developments in science and medicine and all of that came after Christianity and Jesus Christ came onto the scene. And Christianity became a, a widespread worldview in the world. Late modernity, however, picked up the Christian, um, sorry, that should be view, and amplified it to say that the natural world uh, is the only reality. It believes that everything has a physical cause and explanation. Even love and moral feelings are functions of brain chemistry. And the material prosperity and that material prosperity is the only prosperity there is. This view provides the basis of today's powerful consumer and technological culture, which holds that our problems will yield to technological solutions if we throw enough time, money, and effort at discovering them. This utopian narrative is still very powerful in our culture. Objective, detached human reason can solve what ails us. Psychology and medicine will help us adjust, adjust and overcome emotional and physical problems. We won't need, uh, we, we won't need spiritual reasons or, or resources for that. Psychology, uh, sociology will help us create a just society. We won't need God-given divine virtues for that. Technology will figure out solutions to hunger, aging, poverty, and environmental calamity. Men and women can live healthy and just lives quite as well, if not better, without religion as with it. So religion should be kept private. So what, why I'm mentioning that is I want you to see how God created the world, but then how it got unbalanced in one direction through the Greeks and Eastern philosophy, uh, Greco-Roman and Eastern philosophy to, you know, the physical world is not important at all. Christianity bringing the correction, but then secular humanism, because it inherited that good correction, but then threw out the roots in the Bible, overcorrected and threw out the spiritual realm completely and, and made the opposite error. And it's like the pendulum swung from the one side all the way around to the other side. And so often when we try and apply the truth of God without God, we twist it out of proportion and we, we make it something that it shouldn't be and it becomes broken and dangerous and harmful. And that's, that's what happened in the spiritual world. Now, why I mention this to us, because I, I presume most of us are Christians, so we... Th we have a Christian worldview, but the reality is we live in a world that has a late modern secular humanistic worldview. All the programs that we see on TV, all the um, conversations we have in, the, in, in public discourse, in, the polit in politics, and um, you know, with, with people out there, often assume, when we're speaking to people who are not Christians, they assume a view of the world which is very different from the Christian view of the world, which dismisses the spiritual reality 
almost all together. And, and these ideas that the world is only physical, they are so um, pervasive, they are so everywhere, that without realizing it, we often start accepting them. And then even though often in theory we say, I believe in spiritual reality, when we look at our behavior, our behavior says that what we believe is actually something different. We live as though there's no spiritual reality. We live as though the physical reality is all there is. And it, and it manifests in all kinds of ways. Um, for instance, that we, um, when we encounter, say, problems, say, relational problems, we think it's just physical, natural problems. We don't consider that there is a spiritual realm with the devil and his demons who are actively trying to interfere in relationships. And then our solution is we must just talk it out. But, which is true. That is part of the solution. But maybe part of the solution should also be taking authority over those demonic forces which want to come and bring offense and hatred and resentment and bitterness and misunderstanding and hurt and all of those bad things that break relationship up. Maybe if we just sort of try and talk it out, the devil's just going to laugh at us and we're never going to actually be able to talk it out properly and find solutions because we're only addressing the problem, which is both a physical and a spiritual problem on only the physical realm. A problem which is both a natural and a supernatural problem we're, addressing, we're trying to address only on the natural realm. And, of course, like, like I said, when Jesus came, he changed all of that. He, um, you know, in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and, um, and the Word, therefore, Word is Logos. So, so John was intentionally engaging with a Greek philosophy that saw the Logos as an impersonal, rational principle underlying the universe. He was intentionally engaging with that. So he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. And then in verse 14 comes the big surprise. The Word, the Logos, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as the one and only Son who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here the Logos is not some other impersonal, rational principle. He's a person. He's a spiritual person who has become a physical person. He is God, who is spirit, but has now become flesh. Once again, affirming both the spiritual reality and the physical reality, the natural and the supernatural. Um, and then verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God because He's spirit. God is spirit, so you cannot see Him physically. But the one and only Son, who is Himself God... And he's in closest relationship with the Father has made him known by himself becoming physically and uh, physical and physi physical and physically portraying the Father um, who is spiritual. Now, um, I want to focus just a little bit on, on the scripture in Galatians three verse, verse one to five, and it says, "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?" 
Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by works of law, by obeying the law in other words, or by believing what you heard, by believing the gospel? And just a few things I want to highlight here. Um, When Paul talks to the Galatians here, he he says, Oh foolish Galatians. Okay? And one of the reasons why they're foolish is because they're confusing the physical and the spiritual, and they're not relating it correctly to one another. And he might as well have said there, oh, foolish South Africans or foolish Joburgers, because we tend, like the Galatians, to make the same mistake. And, and notice what he calls that mistake. He calls it foolishness. If you don't have a right view of reality, both the physical and the spiritual part of reality, if you don't have a right view of reality, that's foolishness. Okay? He says, who has bewitched you? Uh, interesting, the word they're bewitched in, in, the, in the Greek, um, the, the, the core of the word or the, or the, the root of the word is evil eyes. So, so to, to, to be given evil eyes. So, so it's got to do with how you see the world. It's, it's, it's affecting you spiritually, but in such a way that you see the world with evil eyes. You see the world incorrectly. So it's got to do with worldview. And then he says, before your very eyes... On the, that's on the negative side, being bewitched. And then he says, on the positive side, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Graphically portrayed as crucified. So, he's talking about two worldviews. Before your eyes, you saw, when we preached the gospel, it affected how you see things. Now, he's talking to guys who are not in Israel and who weren't in Israel. They're not Jews. They weren't in Israel when Jesus was crucified. And yet, the gospel, when the gospel was preached to them, it affected the way they saw the world. They saw Jesus as crucified. He was graphically portrayed to them as crucified, and it changed the way they see the world. So, I, I want you to see this. Bewitching, when it comes to the spiritual realm, there's, there's not just one influence. There are two kinds of influences from the spiritual realm. This is very important. Okay, The one, bewitches, In other words, it's demonic. The other one saves, it's divine. So there's the divine and the demonic. So when you talk about the spiritual realm and the supernatural, there are two forms of it. There's the divine and the demonic. And the solution, the Christian solution, is not just to be more aware of the spiritual realm and to have more spiritual experiences. Because if you just have more spiritual experiences, yes, you might experience the divine, but you'll also experience the demonic. So the spiritual realm and the supernatural per se is not the solution. That's why, you know, I'm very uncomfortable. For instance, I know Bethel says, Bethel Church in Reading, they say their highest value is the supernatural. I think that's quite dangerous. Because if your highest value is the supernatural and you, and you, you say our highest goal is to experience the supernatural, then you're going to experience both the divine and the demonic supernatural. And that's what we see happening with people who value 
whose highest value is the supernatural. Because if you just want to experience the supernatural, you don't care whether it's divine or demonic. You just want to ex- have supernatural experiences. And, and, and the, the irony is, it's once again playing into that, because um, the late modernism has become, started becoming disillusioned with this idea that the physical realm is all there is. So modernism said, physical realm is all there is, there's only the physical. Late modernism has, has started becoming disillusioned with it. Oh, you know, that's such an empty, and it, it doesn't make sense. And, and now is saying, but we want the spiritual. And you often hear people saying, I'm spiritual, but not religious. <laughs> so I want spiritual experiences, but I don't want God and the gospel. Okay? And the church, unfortunately, has started playing into that. Yes, the supernatural, the spiritual. But you cannot just unfiltered um, receive that. So he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the gospel, when he preached the gospel to them. So our highest value should not be the supernatural, but the gospel. Why? Because you can have the supernatural without having the gospel, but you cannot have the gospel without having the supernatural. The gospel is inherently and irreducibly supernatural. And that's what he goes on to say here. He says, um, I just have one question for you, Paul speaking. And, and notice he's speaking to the Galatian churches. It was a province in Asia Minor. So multiple churches, dozens, maybe even hundreds of churches. So he's assuming, when he asks this question, he's assuming that everyone experienced the same thing. And notice he expects them to answer based on the experience. This is very important. He says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by, the, by means of the Spirit, or beginning literally in the Greek, it says beginning in the Spirit, are you now trying to finish in the flesh or by means of the flesh? So he, he's appealing to the experience, and he's assuming that that is the experience of all the people in all the churches. This is important. He assumes that having begun in the Spirit, their reception of the Spirit as the beginning of the Christian life, he's he's assuming it's an experience that they know about and that they can refer back to in their memories. And he's assuming that it's an experience that he could see, he who ministered the gospel to them, would be able to observe and can refer them back to. Uh, One of my favorite theologians, Gordon Fee, he says it very powerfully. He says that the experience of the Holy Spirit was so much part of early Christianity that Paul, I mean, Paul's not even arguing for the experience of the Spirit here. He's arguing from the experience of the Spirit. Can you see what he's doing? He's assuming it. He's saying, this is our universal experience as the churches of God. We experienced the Holy Spirit. And not only did we experience the Holy Spirit when we got born again, in verse 5 he says, in verse 4 he says, have you experienced so much in vain? So he's clearly talking about experience, if it really was in vain. And then he says, so again I ask you, does God, before he said, did you receive the Spirit, past tense. Now he says, does God, present tense, give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of law or by believing what you heard? So what God did to save you through an experience of the Spirit, God is still doing now as an experience of the Spirit. 
What I want you to see is that spiritual experience is so much part of Christianity. It's, ir- it's not an added extra to Christianity. It's a fundamental part of Christianity. But it must be a spiritual experience that's connected to the gospel. Jesus clearly portrayed as crucified. That flows from the gospel. Um, Gordon Fee goes on to say, and I think this is a massive indictment to much of the modern church, because much of the modern church slipped, you know, after the Reformation into that same enlightenment skepticism about spiritual things. And without realizing it, thought that the physical reality is all there is and act as though the physical reality is all there is and started denying spiritual experience and the things of the Spirit and even becoming skeptical about it and negative towards it. And, and Gordon Fee says this. He says, if Paul the Apostle, you know, having planted so many churches where spiritual experience was normal, absolutely normal, it was every day. If he walked into many modern churches, he would not recognize them as Christian. Isn't that true? Isn't that so true that without realizing it as the church, now, now obviously we're Pentecostal charismatic, so we affirm, no, experience of the Spirit, it's important. But, and, and maybe the influence on us is less, but we should recognize that it's still there. It's still there, that inherent, late, modern, secular, humanistic, materialistic skepticism about the spiritual things. And may, may we never become a church where spiritual experience is, where we're skeptical about spiritual experience, where we reject spiritual experience. Being born again is inherently a spiritual experience. Gathering together as church and ministering to one another is inherently a spiritual experience. For Christians, family life should be inherently a spiritual experience, an experience of the gospel which has supernatural results in our families. Same at work. Because the temptation is there, yes, you know, at church and in my family, you know, there, that's where spiritual things... But I leave spiritual things at home when I go to work. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> you, you cannot have one view of the world while you're at church and at home and a different view when you're out in the world, in the, in the, in the professional world. It, it's, you're still a spiritual person. You're still dealing with spiritual people. You, you're still interacting with the physical realm and with the spiritual realm at the same time. Jesus didn't have a spiritual life and a physical life. He had a human life, which was both physical and spiritual. And so should we in every area of our lives. So when we talk about, if you can just bring up that um, diagram again, about living the gospel, loving the people, obeying the Spirit, the gospel is inherently both physical and spiritual, and it has physical and spiritual consequences. Obeying the Spirit is inherently experiencing the Holy Spirit and then obeying Him physically and doing what He says in the physical world. And I just want to encourage you, let's, 
allow God to work at our eyes. Let's not bewitched. Let's not be, become bewitched where we see the world through evil eyes, through perverted eyes. Let's not allow the devil to twist the way we see the world. But let's allow the gospel to become our worldview, the way we see the world. Uh, one guy said, your worldview is like the lens of your eye. You don't see it, but you see everything else through it. And I was allow the gospel to become not only truth that you look at, but truth that you look through. Let it, allow it to become your worldview and, and that you see the whole world through the lens of the gospel. Whether you're at church, whether you're at home, whether you're amongst your friends, whether you're at work, wherever you are, look at the world through through the lenses that Scripture gives us and not the lenses that society wants to force on us. And just practically, what, what does that mean? That means that practically, sometimes when as husbands and wives or siblings or, or friends we squabble and argue with one another, sometimes that means we need to stop talking to one another and we need to pray and talk to God. <laughs> and maybe talk to demons and say, in Jesus' name, leave us alone. <laughs> Sometimes that means that when someone's being nasty with you at work and there are all kinds of you know, politics and things going on behind the scenes at work, it, it, it doesn't mean that that person is your enemy because our battle is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. And maybe you need to not just try and defend yourself physically and through the HR department, but maybe you need to also depend, defend yourself spiritually. Maybe, maybe you don't just need a, a legal representative. Maybe you need a spiritual representative, but you have one, <laughs> and you can appeal to him to help you spiritually. Okay? Maybe that means that when I catch myself thinking like the world it's because I'm allowing myself to be bewitched and my eyes and the way I see the world to be twisted into a worldly fashion and I need to go back to God and say, God, like the Galatians, I'm being foolish. <laughs> Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm seeing the world in the wrong way. Help me to see the world through your eyes. Help me to see the world as it really is. In closing, I just want to say, I, I really think the Christian worldview is the best worldview because it takes both the physical and the, the spiritual, the natural and the supernatural seriously and sees it as a reality that can and should be redeemed. And if, as the Bible says, we are spirit, soul, and body, now, interest, just interesting, I just want to give you an example of how this has been, the Christian worldview has sometimes been twisted. Uh, in, in some charismatic circles, you'll, you'll hear people say, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. But that is taking Gnosticism, which is that, that Greek worldview that we spoke about, that sees the physical as unreal, and, and, and the idea... Uh, Gnosis or ideas as real and making that part of Christianity, imposing it on Christianity. No, the Christian view is not, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. The Christian view is, I am a spirit, I am a soul, and I am a body, 
and I'll be all three th these things for all of eternity. And Jesus, God himself, in the form of Jesus Christ, will have a spirit, soul, and body for all of eternity. And my spirit has been born again and saved. My mind is being continuously processed, renewed, and saved. And my body will be resurrected one day and also redeemed. All three parts of me will be redeemed. And therefore, all three parts of me are important. Therefore, I need to take my body seriously. I, I, need, to, I need to look at what I eat. I need to look at getting some exercise. I need to uh, be healthy. Because it's not like my body is unimportant. In the Christian worldview, all three are important. And, and that means also that when Christian ministry happens, it's on all three levels. Christians say the physical is important. Jesus can and does bring physical healing. Um, you, you should go to a doctor. Okay? There's nothing wrong with going to a doctor. It's not like you don't have faith when you go to a doctor. The Christian worldview says, okay, we're going to address your emotions, your psyche as well. And if you need to go to a Christian psychologist, then do that. The Christian uh, worldview says the spirit is important and there are demons. And if we need to do deliverance, we'll do that. Because all three, Christian ministry happens on all three of those levels, not just on one. So, let's stand, and um, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to sing a song or two in closing. And as we're doing this, I just want to ask you, to in your heart and mind do business with the Lord. And just two things. Number one, firstly, sometimes, like the foolish Galatians, us foolish modern Christians have been bewitched, and we see the world in the wrong way. Okay? And, and if, if you're realizing that to some extent, there are parts of your life where you're seeing the world in the wrong way, then you need to do business with the Lord and say, Lord, this bewitching that the world brings upon me, this, this changing of my worldview and the way I see the world, I need you to come and address it. I need you to come and heal it. I need you to come and heal my eyes. I need you to come and remove the veil. I need you to come and help me to please see the world as, as you portray it in Scripture and as you see it. So, so seeing reality correctly. But then also, sometimes, even if theoretically we see the world correctly, we don't, we're not aware of the spiritual reality around us. It's, 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 it's more difficult to not be aware of the physical reality because we're constantly accessing it through our senses. But the spiritual reality, we, we, we theoretically know it's there, but sometimes we forget about it. We don't have a spiritual awareness. And maybe what you need to ask the Lord is and say, Lord, help me to be constantly aware of the spiritual reality, both the divine and the demonic, but the, the reality of the spiritual realm wherever I go every day. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.